this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today we are tackling a little topic you may have heard of before, the one and only... Miley Cyrus. Oh, Miley. Oh, Miley. That really is the way we're tackling Miley today because the latest news, I don't know if y'all heard, is that Miley Cyrus is quitting hip hop and returning to her country roots, which really, it sounds benign. It sounds like just a stylistic change. But if you look into a little bit of the history of cultural appropriation and how Miley picked up hip-hop to run with it. Miley's been very guilty of that. And was a bit deaf to the critiques that came up during Banger's days and when she rebranded herself from Disney's Hannah Montana to an edgy woman who's in the hip-hop scene and capitalized on black culture. Uh you know, we're going to talk through some of the conversation that we started with the hair episode, Is My Hair a Feminist Statement, right. where we talked about cultural appropriation. And this is a perfect example of a white woman who has made major financial gains through co-opting black culture, right, in in her, in her art. You know, a lot of people, when she first hit the scene as her sort of edgy, rebranded, you know, vibe, a lot of people pointed out that it seemed as if she was putting on blackness as kind of a costume. Mm. And I think that she, the fact that she's now kind of abandoned that and like made it very clear, it just gives a lot of credence to that argument, I think. It definitely does. It reinforces this idea that um, it must be nice, right, to have white privilege and be able to, you know, carry, put on blackness as a costume that yields big financial gains yeah. when when white women, you know, are the ones twerking or when white women right. are the ones sort of running with black culture on stage or using black backup dancers as props. I think I see it, I mean, again, as a continuation of, of how it plays out when you think about hair. I see it a lot with hair where, you know, when you wear certain styles that, like, if I wore in a job interview, I would not get called back. If I wore right. in certain schools in America, like that right now, girls, you know, in America right now today are, you know, not being allowed to go to prom. We're going to talk about dress code soon. Yeah. That is definitely an episode, episode we're going to talk about. But yeah, if I, if I showed up to a, right. a high school with these hairstyles, I could be, I could be suspended. Mm-hmm. And you we're know, talking about Gwen Stefani's like 90, what is it in the aughts? Like the early to mid aughts, she was rocking a lot of cornrows. Yeah. Katy Perry's got chopsticks in her hair. Right. Like, and I think that that's important to recognize when you're able to sort of wear this as a fashion. But for some people, it's not, you know, it's, it's their identities. It's their cultural heritages. Right. And that identity doesn't leave you when you're, in a very different context, like being pulled over for a broken taillight. Exactly. So that must be nice. And and I think that kind of being blind to that privilege is where it got Miley in a lot of trouble. And let me also say that I really wanted Miley to be successful. I really wanted to see not another embarrassing, ignorant white girl in the public eye. Because, first of all, I think I'm embarrassed for her right now because of the ways that she is perpetuating really ignorant statements around hip-hop, saying things like, you know, it's all misogynistic. This entire uh, art form, this entire genre that has a very long history that is deeply rooted in the American come-up story and in the black American history, 
And she's painting it all with this misogynistic brush. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that bugs me so much about her statements. Honestly, it reads to me like someone who doesn't really know that much about hip-hop. I'm so quickly reminded of, not that long ago, I think it was Iggy Azalea. And this is back when Iggy Azalea was irrelevant. Ha-ha. <laughs> but, you know, she was on Twitter, and I, I want to say it was Q-Tip who very lovingly tweeted at her, like, hey, here are some interesting facts about the history of hip-hop that you, you right. know, might be interested in. And she responded in kind of a, a strange way. And again, I just feel like if you are someone who is make if, if, if hip hop and black culture is essentially helping you pay your rent, it's you owe it to folks to sort of do it justice and to talk about it in ways that are thoughtful and nuanced and critique and like maybe you, just care about the culture exactly. that you've come from. That- and I think that when Miley makes the Make, goes on to say, oh, I'm done with hip-hop. It's all, you know, B-words and, you know, swearing. And- right. In the Billboard interview. Right. Let me, let me read the quote, right? So, all right, read what I can from the quote. She gave a very long and a little bit concerningly disjointed interview in Billboard magazine that I highly recommend y'all check out. Homegirl sounded stoned, I'll just say. But what's funny is that she said in the interview, I haven't smoked weed in two weeks, and this is as clear-headed as I've been in years. Isn't that phenomenal? And I'm like... Don't believe it. I'm... I, again, I wanted to cheer her on, because she's done some good stuff in this in this time, and I think she's clearly created her own path forward. She doesn't have a hyper-produced... Instagram feed and even like talking about legalization and marijuana, I think could have been productive had she gone about it in a very different way. And yet here she is just like not representing her, I think, intentions very well. So in the article, she says, I love that new Kendrick song. She's talking about humble. You know, she pulls that uh, that line from Kendrick's song about show me something natural like a behind, let's say, with some stretch marks. She goes, I love that because it's not come sit on my, insert the male anatomy <laughs> phrase here that she would like to, or suck on my ditto, like the male anatomy we just talked about there. So she's saying, I can't listen to that anymore. Quote, that's what pushed me out of the hip hop scene a little. It was too much Lamborghini, got my Rolex, got a girl on my you know what. And she goes, I'm so not into that. And to me, that was an oversimplification and painting the entire genre and history of hip hop with this misogynistic brush. Yeah. So I have a lot, a lot to say about that. First of all, just as a, a note, I think it's interesting that people who aren't maybe super into hip hop, but who want to seem as though they are, always go to Kendrick Lamar as their, oh, like, it's so deep and woke and conscious. I love Kendrick Lamar, but it's it's interesting to me that that is always seems to be the, you know, it used to be back in the day, it used to be um, Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. When I was in college, white guys would always hit on me by (laughs) being like, hey, I'm really into Tribe Called Quest. So... One. Two, I actually, I, as much as I love Kendrick Lamar, I actually found that song to be a little bit problematic that, Ditto. you know, like if you are a woman who, you, you know, like, puts makeup on and wants to get her hair relaxed, yeah, like, like and, no shame. Yeah. It, right. And, and that shouldn't make you, it's just, it, it seems to me to fall along the lines of a very traditional understanding of womanhood and, and female identity that like, if you are a woman who wears makeup and wears heels and, you know, straightens your hair or whatever, then you're somehow less of a natural woman or less of a real woman if you do these things. And I don't I don't buy that at all because I straighten my hair and I'm, you know, a, a, a real woman. I'm not, I'm not like, yeah. you know, it makes it seem that you can't be smart and with it and progressive if you do these things. So I right. already don't like Kendrick that. Kendrick 
as much as his music is great, does not have a feminist perspective. Correct. He does I mean, not. We could do a whole episode on we Kendrick should. and we women. We can and should. Because I love his music as well, but like, dang, it's problematic when it comes to a gender lens. And I think, and I think, as a longtime hip hop fan, I think I have like accepted that that's okay. Right. Right. It's. As a feminist, as a black feminist and a hip-hop fan, you do have to say, well, I'm enjoying... There are plenty of songs that I enjoy that do not have a feminist lens in hip-hop. But I think that what I get so frustrated with Miley about is that's... I think that is true along so many many different kinds of music, including including country. country. And I think it's interesting how she is like, oh, well, hip-hop is all... B words and you know sex references. Things we can't say on the air. Yeah, a conversation to have without being able to swear. But you get what I'm where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And and presenting it as though hip hop is the only genre of of music in which that is a a thing. And it just feels like she has learned nothing about Black history in America. Exactly. Through this entire journey in which she was called out for you know twerking for. Uh, her attire, her using of black culture to ed- make her edgy and get out of Hannah Montana's zone right. in the public eye, which worked, right? It catapulted yeah, her to very, the top of the charts. It's very effective. But, you know, all of the critiques she, she was given for using black women's bodies on stage is almost a prop. Like, she never acknowledged or leaned into the discomfort when I think Nicki Minaj, we can come back to that, yeah. which we talked about in the hair episode. I think she came up when she said, what's good, Miley? You know, she First called all, her out. There was no, that moment. Mm. I, that, there was no better moment. That was one of my top five moments of that year. My jaw was on was, the ground. I also love, you know, I talk about how much I love Nicki Minaj all day, but just as a, a, a an aside, mm-hmm. I love that Nicki Minaj was, had in the same breath as thanking her pastor. She was like, I want to thank my pastor. But also, back to this B word, I was like, oh my God, from talking about your pastor to calling out Miley in the same breath. That is, I know. That was a thing of beauty. I love it. So I felt, again, like, oh man, here's Miley Cyrus, a talented musician who has chops, who has vocal talent, and who I wanted to see. Get woke, Miley. Get woke, Miley, right? Being called out on stage by another one of my favorite artists. Yeah. I can't say Miley is a favorite artist, but I really wanted her to be successful in learning. And it's hard to be called out and get woke in the public eye. It I is. will admit it. It is. Um, but I was witnessing my, uh, Nikki take her down and say, you can't have the good without the bad. You can't not be interested in the issues that affect the black community, but capitalize on black culture. And, and it was a perfect point, but yeah. she totally had deer in the headlights and did not respond to that well. Yeah, and I I think that that is really my point is that I do genuinely feel you know, if you're like no one is forcing you to be woke. It will be nice if you were woke, but you know, you don't have to make the choice to say I'm going to immerse myself in black culture, hip hop culture and that's going to help my come up. No one is forcing you to do that, but I do feel like if you are going to, you know, pay your bills via things that have been popularized yeah. by the black community, it 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 seems unfair to do that and, and just sort of do it so callously. And I think that when she rebranded herself as like, oh, I'm going back to country, right. it just made it very clear that she saw that as like a costume or a hat that she could put on for a while and then walk around in it and then take it off. And, mm. and it just seems, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen in such a stark way with a celebrity. Totally. And this is a problem well beyond Miley. As we discussed, there's a big problem in Hollywood and in the pop star creation engine that really encourages young pop stars, especially when they're 
transitioning from girl in the public eye to woman, right? Whether it's Christina Aguilera, Gwen Stefani, who's the other person we were thinking of who had, oh, uh, Katy Perry. Uh, yeah. Did, did we even talk about cultural appropriation with Britney? Like when was that? Cool? I don't think so. But I mean, I, for me, it's like sh- she was the ultimate. When I think about how. Not a girl, not yet a woman. Yeah. She was the ultimate in my mind of like, you know, young bubblegum star who was sort of groomed to be this very young, innocent person and then clearly sort of struggled with that, uh, in the public eye and then was kind of vilified for it. Like we, we have a tailor made. Yes. So what, so even divorced from the conversation of cultural appropriation, I think that that is a, tailor-made thing, watching female music, like female celebrities, and even, you know, probably one of my favorite, favorite artists of all time, on a much smaller scale, dealt with this, Janet Jackson. People Mm. forget that in the early days of Janet Jackson, she was sort of in her brother's shadow, and that she, one of her first songs was called Let's Wait a While, about how she didn't want to have sex before marriage, and like, she was sort of being groomed to be this sort of bubblegum, sweet, innocent, innocent, like, family musician who was sort of on the Jackson family, you know, lineup, and then when she made Control, that whole album is about how she, you know, is an adult. She's taking control, and her her music got a lot more risque, and so did she. And you yeah. really saw her peaking with Justin Timberlake. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, exposing her, and yeah, you really saw her kind of grapple, in in a, in, albeit in a much sort of more kind of subtle way, grapple with this trap that I think we set for female celebrities right. who get big when they're very young. We right. watch them grow. And I think we expect a lot from them in these ways that sometimes aren't always fair. So I wonder sure. if we're seeing yeah. Miley struggle with that. Right. And I wish there was a better playbook for how to deal with that with by listening to your critics. Yeah. And I mean, we're dealing with that, right? Yeah. We, got, we got some critics. Shout and, out to our critics. Yeah. And we it's challenging to not get defensive. Yeah. And that's exactly what we saw Miley do. And I want to bring it back to the issue of race and appropriation here for a second um, to acknowledge that Miley's not alone in this, and the incredible uh, editor of Ebony Magazine back in 2015, when Miley was hitting peak bangers appropriation phase with her album Bangers, uh, they put out a cover article, look at this cover, that says, America loves black people, except it crossed out people and wrote culture. I mean, that's that says yeah, it all to me. Exactly, and she, she penned the editor... Uh, Editor-in-Chief Kierna Mayo penned this great opening letter when she put out that article saying, uh, you know, what I've learned is if you ask black people how they feel about America's obsession with black culture, but the all too common rejection of black people, you just may tumble down a rabbit hole of no return. But that's actually a good thing. We all have something to say about this. I only hope your individual perspective finds a little validation right here. And she talks about the overwhelming reminders that America truly loves what it perceives as black, from baby oil to butts, collard greens to <laughs> crunk. But actual black people? Perhaps not so much. And, and it's just... I mean, they really went for it with this cover to talk through this peak moment that I think Miley was at the forefront of, of black culture being very cool. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as a black woman, I can say like black culture has been like, this is not a, a new right. thing like, right. from like the, the you know, the 20s mm. when it was black. I mean, think back to people like Billie Holiday being having a headlining act but not being able to use the front door of the club where she was performing right Mm. like not being able to sit where she wanted to sit after people after white people paid 
good money to like listen to her sing. And I think this insane. has been something that we have this love hate relationship in America with blackness. Yes. And that's something that has been very clear, I think, through for for a very long time. And honestly, that that image, it reminds me so much of a sign I saw at a uh, Black Lives Matter protest where it's a girl holding a sign and it says, if you kill us all, where will you get your ideas? Right. And so, again, it's this idea that like America loves blackness when it's perceived as entertaining, when it's sports, when it's this, when it's that. But when when it's displayed by white women. Correct. Correct. And I think when it comes to actual actually investing in blackness and and protecting and uplifting Mm. blackness in ways that are more meaningful, we just, as a country, just don't. Totally. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into this latest transition back to country and why that's especially problematic, as well as some of the good things that Miley has been doing, um, some of the interesting ways in which she's pushed the envelope, uh, and some of the troubling things that she's been doing. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. back. And I want to take a moment to give Miley some credit for the good work she has been doing. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. And this is part of the reason why I feel so torn about Miley Cyrus. The first component is that she is a very talented singer and performer. There's no doubt about that. And when people critique... I'm still skeptical. Okay. <laughs> I feel I feel like, no, go I mean, watch I, the I Backyard have, Sessions. I have, a, you know I, have a, I, have, I enjoy some of her songs. I I will say that she has a great cover of Jolene, which... The Backyard that Sessions. Was, yeah, that was the yeah. first time I was like, oh, she actually does have a nice voice. Right. And there's... But that's not enough, right? Being in the public eye in the way that celebrities are and being an artistic creator... You are defined by the choices you make when it comes to how to not just put your music together, but the visuals that go along with it. So it's fair for us to judge. But in her spare time, when she's not hanging out with all her dogs and animals, which is another part of my little vegan heart that I kind of love about Miley. And I wanted to I wanted to see her succeed because she's big into animals um, and yoga. But she's also into um starting the Happy Hippie Foundation which, which is actually legitimately very cool. It's very cool. And the, I watched her start that via Instagram back in 2014 when she had started the Happy Hippie Foundation which is a nonprofit advocacy organization working with to end really LGBT youth homelessness in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And what I often see is that celebrities when they try to start a cause or a uh, you know, advocate for something they believe in. They go really big. They right. go national. She went right to her backyard, which I I I love that. Just as I a, thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of hyper local, sort of starting in yeah. your own backyard. Like, shout out to her because that actually is very cool. Yeah, and she saw a problem that she could take action on, and she wanted to talk about something that a lot of people weren't talking about. She used her public profile to shine a spotlight on this very glaring problem that people weren't talking about that especially affects LGBT youth. Right. She sends Jesse on stage when she's accepting, you know, she's not even accepting. She sends Jesse, who's a member or a, uh, someone who benefited from the work through the Happy Hippie Foundation, to go receive this award on her behalf at the VMAs when she was, again, winning for art that she'd created by appropriating black culture. So there's a lot wrapped up in here. It's like, do we like it? Do we not like it? I feel so (laughs) tormented. You're like, you're doing great things for LGBT youth, but can we just like acknowledge that you're still completely appropriating black culture, benefiting from it, cashing in on it and not 
doing any work that I've seen to specifically address the issues facing the black community. And that's problematic. It is problematic. And again, I mean, I, I, something that I think I keep coming back to is that what I wish that, I, what I wish I saw her doing more of is messing up gracefully, messing up, yeah. learning, saying like, oh, you're right. I, I did do this. And oh, I, oh, I didn't, I hadn't realized that. And grappling with that in public. I feel I, like she's done that with pansexuality. Though. She's done it in some she, ways. She yeah. comes out saying, I didn't understand my own gender, my own sexuality. I'm, you know, really interested in supporting LGBT rights, which I think is commendable and great. She talks about weed and legalization and animal rights, and she's done that in other parts of her life. So why, Miley, can't you do that I mean, with I, black culture? Yeah, the, I, I think I and have the people. answer, which is that people get defensive when it comes to race. So people who otherwise would be progressive, thoughtful, nuanced, sort of um, like willing to own that they don't know have all the answers and they yeah. might mess up. I've, I've encountered this in my day-to-day life quite a bit. The people that you think of as very um, smart people, otherwise smart, kind people, when it comes to race, like a wall goes up. And honestly, it's one of those things that I think there's a writer that writes about this, that when you when someone feels as if they are being accused of being a racist, that is something, something happens to them yeah. in their minds where they can no longer respond the way they would otherwise. Like, I'm huh. forgetting the writer who writes this, but this idea that what happens when you call someone a racist is they have the reaction that they have right. in their own minds so is strong. a very intense one. And I think it's just, Miley is showcasing that, yeah. you know, for a lot of people grappling with race, particularly publicly, is difficult. Isn't that such an American, unique... Yeah. You want to talk about American exceptionalism. <laughs> what did I just say? Exceptionalism? We are exceptionally bad at grappling with Yeah. Race. Well, clearly, it's baked into our nation's history. It and it's so clearly still sticking around. Well, of course, one of our favorite publications, Teen Vogue, covered this issue in a really ex- exceptional way, in a really great way. Uh, there's this article um, that I came across by Michael Arsenault. Miley Cyrus faces rightful backlash in light of past cultural appropriation. And in it, he covers how um, being rightfully criticized, Miley took to Instagram to explain why it's okay for her to just drop black culture, drop hip-hop, and move on.com. Yeah, right? because she says what she wants to gravitate toward yeah. more thoughtful, conscious hip hop, right? Yes. She goes, quote, at this point in my life, I'm expanding personally slash musically and gravitating towards more uplifting, conscious rap. <sighs> and again, I mean, as a hip hop fan, as a longtime hip hop fan, it's quotes like that. And again, just to unpack what I mean. I feel like that comment sounds very positive. It does. But if you un- if you unpack what she's actually saying, it's to me is like a dig on hip hop. Right. And you're saying that you know I am. I remember when Miley Cyrus got on stage and sang the classic hit "My Neck, My Back," which is all about pretty gra- like pretty intense sex acts. Right? right. She's asking you know, and she's screaming the lyrics, and then she is, and she's twerking on stage in a nude right, bikini. Right. Okay. And, She's pointing the finger at others, and so I feel right. as though it's it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical for her to have said it's fine. It's it's like saying, "Oh, it's fine when I do it," right? You know, and that's what I don't like. Yeah. Well, here Michael actually con- uh, follows up her quote in his article, saying, "But if you don't respect the subcultures you borrow from, you are not so much curious as you are a charlatan. 
In a perfect world, black art made by black people would be just as successful as the art made by a white artist who's, quote, inspired by it. In an ideal society, what black people are vilified for wouldn't be so much more alluring when performed by white people. Totally. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that quote just really sums it up nicely for right. me, I think. And I, again, that's something that I have, I think any person of color has seen Time and time again. Uh, like, play out in, in so many different ways. Um, there's a poem. I, I forget the name of the poem, the poet, but she talks about how if you, you know, if you want to wear bindis, you should also take, you know, the, like, you can't just take the good right. and not the bad. Like, right. if you're going to take take wearing a bindi and you're going to take, you know, wearing a sari and all of that, then you should also have to take all of the heavier baggage that comes along with those things. You can't just try them on like a costume and not take the heavier aspects of it or even really understand them or care about them. Right. Yeah. It's disrespectful. Yeah. And especially when when there's such commercial financial success connected to it. So let's talk about her returning to her country roots. I read the the full interview she gave on Billboard, uh, through Billboard, whatever you want to call it, and... I just wrote here in the notes, I was like, this is some serious all lives matter stuff right here. <laughs> because what she's doing is similar to me in saying all lives, bl- <laughs> all lives bladder, <laughs> all lives matter to folks in the Black Lives Matter movement. And she's saying, um, in the article, the, the author writes, Cyrus was first inspired to reach beyond her circle of quote, outspoken liberals and cultivate country fans and red staters in 2016 when she began as a coach on NBC stalwart talent competition, The Voice. Quote, I like talking to people that don't agree with me, but I don't think I can do that in an aggressive way, said Cyrus. I don't think these people are going to listen to me when I'm sitting there in nipple pasties, you know? And I just had so much, there's so much to that, which is like, of course we want to talk to people with whom we disagree. How about the black people who've been critiquing you? Like, why are you listening intently and empathically to the folks who, you know, were, were, she talks explicitly in this article about Trump fans and Trump supporters, but you don't give black communities that same benefit of the doubt. I see this on such a, on a, both a micro and a macro level in that that has been reflected in our, in our cultural dynamic in so many ways, right? Like, why is it that after election, after the election, we all went through this thing where it was like, how about having a little empathy for Trump supporters? Unity. Right? Let's and come I'm, together. I am not right. suggesting that we should not have that. Right. Trump supporters are not deserving of empathy. But my question is, why is it that we have that when it comes to largely white audiences, that we are very quick to suggest, oh, we need to be empathetic of their of their you know situations and all of that. But we do not afford all people that privilege, right? When when young, unarmed black people are killed by the police, immediately they're like, well, he was arrested for marijuana possession yeah. nine years ago, so right. you be the judge, right? Like, yeah. He worked a little shady. Right, and so my question is, I would be all about a more empathetic society if we're, if we're championing, championing that society for all, not just for white people. And I think right now, empathy is reserved for whites. I, I genuinely believe that on a large scale, most of America does not believe the black community to be deserving of any kind of empathy mm. that, you know, it, it, and I think it's reflected in how we talk about these things. I think, you know, how uh, poor white voters are, you know, the working class or like, or like right. yeah, low income or whatever. And that we just think about the, those same people economically when they are black, the conversation is very different. Totally. And so I just see that reflected 
all in all the ways. I am nodding vigorously <laughs> over here. What's funny is that before we recorded this, I was like, guys, don't let me get too political. And here I am. And another thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard not to. I mean, here she goes, listen, Miley herself says my record is political, but you can't really say that because then the E! News headline is... You know, this is a political record, and then I'm the Dixie Chicks, and I'm getting my album smashed in the streets, and that's not what I want. But what does Tellingly, she want? No, she wants commercial success, just like bangers. She wants people to love her again. She misses her white friends. <laughs> she misses her white friends. I mean, fans. honestly, the, the cover of this article should have just said, Miley Cyrus, colon, I'm white again. I, uh, right? I'm I not miss, black I miss, anymore, guys. I miss, being, I miss my being adored by my white country fans. She goes, quote, I'm down for hanging with Blake Shelton on The Voice. <laughs> I actually want to take advantage of the fact that he's there. Like, how telling is that, first of all? And then his fans don't really take me seriously as a country artist. One, I haven't given them that music. But listen, I've got a tattoo of Johnny Cash's autograph he gave me when I was a little girl that says, I'm in your corner. Dolly Parton is my, you know, beep, godmother. And the fact that country music fans are scared of me, that hurts me. And I'm just thinking, oh, poor Miley. Poor Miley. She has a tiny of an experience of what it's like to be black in America. Right. And, and, and feared and not so embraced by white country fans. And that's what it, what it comes down to for me as a black woman. I can't just take this off, put this on, take this off. Mm-hmm. But she believes that she should be able to, you know, sit with the black kids at lunch yep. and be fine and be accepted and then sit with the, the country kids at lunch and be fine and be accepted. And this idea, I mean, she says it herself. Mm-hmm. Con- I have not given country music listeners country what music. Yet she still feels like they, like they should be, like they're, and she's, she's entitled, entitled to their support. To their support. Yes. That's what I think that bugs me so much about this. And then she goes on to say, quote, it's mind-boggling to me that there was even a controversy around me having black dancers. That became a thing where people said I was taking advantage of black culture and with Mike Will made it. What the, you know, and then F, she says, that wasn't true. Those were the dancers I liked. And so this is a perfect example of Miley not actually hearing what our critics have to say of Miley not getting curious around the issues facing black Americans today that have given her the commercial success, like the culture from which she has derived commercial success. She is clearly not listening and she's just getting defensive, like you said. And I think, I mean, as someone who has had plenty of like online discussions about race, online yeah. arguments about race, I see that so clearly how she twists it that like it. People were not yelling at you because you had black dancers. Right. You're you're misrepresenting what they are saying, she, and you're she not get it. it. And I and I do think it's possible for celebrities who borrow a lot from black culture mm-hmm. to do it thoughtfully. Like I look at one of my favorite musicians, and also shout out to my mom because I just I spent a weekend at home and I found out that my mom has a mild, cr- not even mild, has a pretty big crush on Bruno Mars. Ah. My mom, we were in the car and she was like, "Oh, that Bruno Mars is so handsome." Ah. I was like, "Mom, are you in love with Bruno? Are you going to leave dad for Bruno Mars?" I love What's it. happening? <laughs> um, but Bruno Mars, I think, is someone who is not black. He very much, you know. He sounds like a black R&B singer from, you know, the 90s. And he's someone who has a lot of thoughtful things to say about black culture. He very much is 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 explicit in saying, like, yeah, I, I respect black culture so much. And so he, in an interview, said, when you say, when you say black music, understand that you're talking about rock, jazz, R&B, reggae, funk, doo-wop, hip-hop, and Motown. Black people created it all. Being Puerto Rican, even salsa music stems back to the motherland of Africa. So in my world, black music means everything. Mm. To me, it's what gives America its swag. Yeah. And I think just, it's 
no one is saying you can't have black backup dancers. No one is saying you can't borrow from hip-hop, from jazz, from funk, from doo-wop, from go-go, from all of that. But you just have to do, like, to, if, you're, if you're paying your rent via yes. things that black folks built, you need to, it, it, it's worth it to do it thoughtfully and to do it, you know, carefully. And I think, yeah. shout out to Bruno Mars for providing that template of how you can yeah. do that. And I just feel like as a white woman, I'm looking at Miley and, and like, come on, Miley, woke it up a little bit up there. <laughs> don't be it. Don't like, don't tarnish all white women's yeah, she's, reputations. She's bringing right shame now. to your haircut. She totally is bringing <laughs> shame to my haircut. There were so many ways I wanted her to do this right. And she just time and time again has criticized the critiques instead right. of like actually listening to what's going on there. And so we're going to get into a lot more yeah. all things Miley, but after a quick word from our sponsor. we're back. And there's one more little nugget of Miley that is just too kind of troubling and weird to not mention, which is her video for Baby Talk. Right. I don't know if anybody saw this, because this was that peak cringe Miley moment. I think the whole world collectively just looked away when she got in a giant diaper and a baby bonnet and a pacifier and rolled around and grinded up in a crib for an entire music video, BB Talk. I have to say, I had not seen this video. When I pulled it up right before the episode, <laughs> I sh- I shrieked she was in horrifying. horror. I yeah. shrieked. If you've ever seen that episode of 30 Rock where one of the characters, Frank, has that uh, hot baby or sexy baby skit, sexy baby. and it's like a woman... <laughs> Wearing a plastic baby doll yeah. head, but also wearing a bikini. That was immediately what I thought of. It was so yeah. creepy. And so, trigger warning here for anyone who's like dealt with these issues in a really big way. We probably should have said that a couple seconds ago, but this is like pervert bait, right? We're talking about the sexualization of children in her video. And I don't think there was enough of a public backlash against the explicit hypersexualization of children and babies. And it also came up for me again when I was watching her brand new video for Malibu. And maybe it's just me. I don't want to be, I don't want to body shame Miley Cyrus for being thin or having a childlike body. But there is an innocence, and this goes back to the dichotomy we were talking about right at the opening, of being a pop star, a female pop star in America today means you know, f- uh, uh, fluctuating between mm-hmm. the innocent Britney of the schoolgirl era with that little shirt tied up, which is a pretty hypersexualized 16-year-old high school student that right. we're all, like, thinking is super hot, to 18-year-old woman, you know, now can be a legal sex object. I'm not that innocent. Exactly. <laughs> and so Miley's version was, I can't be tamed. Yes. And... Now she's having this, like, I feel like she's coming full circle trying to get out of hip-hop by going back to this childlike, freakishly childlike, like maybe a little disturbed childlike innocence. And I I think that you really hit the nail on the head in terms of how female pop stars especially are, when they start out very young and innocent, like they, we want to watch them... We're first of all, we're actively rooting for them to fail. I think as a culture, we're like, yeah, can't wait till she's, yeah, you know, shaving her head. Why do or, we do that? I don't know. We we we, and I'm so guilty of it. So I, I I'm the I biggest defender. I feel like defender. Selena Gomez. Every all these young, successful or like early successful Disney stars, you're like, oh, grown. Yeah, you. I think we. I mean, maybe we huh. we don't. We're uncomfortable with the sort of squeaky clean imagery they project, and so we when they kind of 
go rogue. It's fascinating it's and kind fun. of titillating yeah, to watch. It's sad. Um, but yeah, and I think I, I'm old enough to remember back when she was still squeaky clean and, and there was like pictures of her hitting a bong and things like that. Right. And it was a huge controversy. Huge. And I just think that she was presented with a choice of do like, do I stay sort of childlike right. or do I grow up? And she just leaned super hard in the other direction. And part of me can't kind of blame her. Well, it worked for her. Yeah. Let's just acknowledge how commercially successful she became. But in doing so, she isolated the nice white country folk who she had as fans. And speaking of hitting the bong, now she's bragging in her Billboard article about ditching marijuana and going back to this innocent, clean Miley. And right. so it just seems like this grasping at a pass. She can't. You can't reclaim that. Okay, that's not going to work. Totally. And there's this infantilizing component to it that I think was evident in the most pedophile, like, bait video I've ever seen in my life, BB Talk. And even in Malibu, which is sort of like clean, innocent, very childlike imagery around. And maybe I'm the only one who sees it this way. But, like, I think we're basically, like, rooting on this very, very childlike version of Miley's body being sexualized and portrayed in this like sweet, innocent, jungly, you know, on the kid on the beach type way. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think what's clear to anyone who saw that image of her like in a desert on in a flowy white dress. Right. What 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 she was trying to project. I think it was very clear like what message she was trying to send out and what we're supposed to take away from that image. When you look at the image of her, you know, twerking on stage in a nude bodysuit and this image of her wearing a long, flowing white right. gown, very virginal, you know, in yeah. the sand. I think it's very clear what we're being asked to to take away from images like that. Yeah. And isn't it sad that those are the two tropes that women in the public oh, eye have either to... either one or the other. One or the other. You can't be a multifaceted human being. You're either the virgin or the vixen. It's just so... I mean, in some ways, it's kind of sad, but like she's got the. I'm looking at the video now. She's got the little pigtails. It's very like it's almost like Mariah Carey esque, like wildflowers. It's the pigtails. That's what really did it for me. So she's got two little braids and she's got pigtails. And to me, maybe I'm judging pigtails too much here, but there's this like kind of childlike innocence with the balloons and the goofy dancing. And I just think that I don't like this any is of like, this. It <laughs> just sorry. feels like pedophile bait. Am I wrong? This is I'm I don't know if you're wrong, but I don't like this is this video is like legitimately making it's me uncomfortable. Very it's very uncomfortable. weird. I don't quite know what it is about it that I find so I just strange. I, I just I just am left thinking, oh Miley. And that's I think that's where we have to leave it. Like little girl skipping through the Skipping through the fields with her doggy. It's just like, please take me back, country. You know, please love me again. I'm just a little girl. And it's got that, like, innocent thing to it. But maybe maybe I'm reading way too much into this, y'all. I have not seen writing on, like, the pedophile angle of Miley Cyrus. I haven't seen a lot of cultural critique, especially even with... uh, There was a little bit on the BB Talk video. But, y'all, this is just another way in which I feel like... In her quest to be an independent creative person, and I, I totally respect the endeavor, the intent behind going your own route, not having a hyper-managed, right. you know, creative control, like taking your own creative control as an artist. Right. But if you're going to borrow from black culture the way that Miley Cyrus has done, if you're going to run around in a diaper in the way that Miley Cyrus has done, you better be cognizant of 
more than just how the homeless LGBT youth of Los Angeles need your help. You right. Or be, the pets need your help. Or the pets, yeah. How about black people? Right. Let's and just I, start there, can and again, we? I mean, I, not, I don't want to trash Miley because... I, I agree with you. Like, I remember when I saw her on the VMAs, a friend of mine, a coworker, said, oh, it was such a weird, kind of, like, interesting, weird performance. I almost just want to give her, like, a box of Riot Girl CDs and a box of, yeah. you know, a box of, like, interesting music yeah. so that she, to help her along this path that she's on so she gets to right. where she needs to go. Right. And I just, you know, I think for me, the kind of end-all, be-all of all this is that it's probably, it's very difficult to grapple with all of this in the public eye Definitely. and to sort of get woke in the public eye. But there are models for people who are doing it right, right. and there is a, a, a right way to do it, and I just, I feel like she's doing it wrong. Constantly. Yeah. And this part, I mean, let's see. I, I want to hear from our country fans. Are you embracing Miley with open arms? Is this working for you? I have a feeling it's not. And how about those who fell in love with Miley of the hip-hop genre? How do you feel about her not only ditching the genre, but also trashing it on her way out the door. Um, and let's talk about Miley and LGBT advocacy and her coming out as pansexual. Let's talk about Miley and race. Let's talk about Miley and the somewhat infantilizing of her physical appearance in a weirdly sexual way. Does that bother you as much as it bothers me? And how do we, how do we, like, how do we move forward from here? I want to champion women who are navigating the creative process because it's not easy. Getting woke isn't easy either, but doing so in the public eye, I just feel like aren't there better ways for us to help help uh, help each other sort of stay woke. Be woke and stay woke. So with that, we want to hear from you. Any any last words be on this topic? No, I think you, okay. I think you hit it. All right. So, how can how can our lovely ladies uh Hit us up on social. So we didn't, we need to hear from y'all. Um, you can hit us up on the gram at stuff mom never told you, on Twitter at mom stuff podcast, and you can shoot us a good old fashioned email. Uh, tell Which us all we about love. your. We love the emails. We Please love. email us. Uh, mom stuff at howstuffworks.com. dot <laughs> 